0: Uh, I'm excited today man let me start out by saying this the message that I'm gonna preach which will end up being more than one week because I didn't get through it all last service I didn't think I would but there's just a lot here and uh, I want to make sure I take the time I feel like the Lord said like really plow ground on this one you know and really take the time to to teach and go through this and help people gain an understanding about these things Um, I've been working on this message these studies if you will for I think at least almost a year and you know some messages the Holy Spirit brings and God will open it up and oftentimes it's a result of just other revelation in the word that I've had over years but it'll come quickly and then other times It'll just be a message that is incubating for weeks and weeks and just continuing to take a deep dive and a deep plunge. And that's what this message is, is like. This is where this comes from today, uh, is much time, and I say this just, you know, with humility, but to say like much time before the Lord, much time in the word and study and prayer and just really seeking God for truth in his heart on these things and how to accurately convey it in a way that strengthens the body of Christ. And so um, I feel like God has really released me, kind of brought this thing to this point now where it's time to to preach this. And I also feel like that it's the kind of messages that we need to hear more of today. I feel like God is saying that that some of the, the teaching that he's bringing forth in this time and in this era in the body of Christ is going to begin to increase and build with knowledge and power and strength that the body of Christ may be well-equipped and well-strengthened and know their, the Word and know the Bible well to be able to fight the enemy in their life every single day, to not be ill-equipped in the world when they're out there uh, outside of Sundays and the things that we are facing. And so... If you have your Bibles, we're going to open them up and begin in Luke chapter 16. So let's start there. And I'm actually going to read a story that takes place in verses 19 through 31 that Jesus is telling to the disciples and, and to the people um, that he is speaking to. So let's start there in verse 19. It says, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, And fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, and desiring to be fed with crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all of this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. So that those who want to pass from here to you cannot. Nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers. That he may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to, them, to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rise from the dead. What the hell? That's the title of my message today. (laughs) It is. It's right here. Just so you know. All right. That's the icebreaker of all icebreakers right there, baby. No, that is. It's the title of my message. And I think you kind of can get the direction now that we're going is I want to talk to you uh, about hell. And I want to help you gain an understanding about this place that the Bible speaks of so many times called hell. Now, here's the thing. What's interesting is that in a lot of past experiences and through the church age, through time, uh, we've seen certainly a misuse or misrepresentation in the way that this, taught, this teaching has been brought forth. Uh, a lot of stories and examples over the years I've heard where, you know, preachers are all fire and brimstone and shaking their finger and yelling, hell, you're going to go to hell, you're going to go to hell, you're going to burn, you know, and like they're excited about it or something. I mean, and, and it doesn't set well with me at all because on one hand, look, the Bible says that the will of God is that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. And so you've got to recognize that the heart of the Father is grieving when any child that he's created, when any person that he's created chooses not to receive Jesus and ultimately seals their fate in eternity in this place called hell. It, it grieves the heart of the Father, and it should grieve our heart. Our heart should be the heart of the Father. There should be no rejoicing or satisfaction that we ever find in one soul who spends eternity away from God. In fact, it should be a compelling truth. And when taught properly, this idea of hell and what it means and what it's about, when taught properly, it should be actually a great encouragement and motivator to us as sons and daughters of God to live in the fullness of what we have and to share the message that's the saving message for all the world that needs to hear so that that isn't the fate and isn't the outcome of their soul. And so we see uh, a lot of that through the years where it was taught in, in maybe the wrong way. But listen, nonetheless, it must be taught. It must be preached it must be talked about. So far as I can tell between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are over a hundred different places where the Bible speaks about this place of hell. Jesus spoke about it many, many times in his own ministry when he walked the earth. And so we can't do what some people would do with the Bible and just break it down and take bits and pieces of it that we like and do away with other bits and pieces that we don't. I made a decision when God called me to preach, and called me to plant, and called me to pasture. I was gonna preach this word, and I was gonna preach this whole word. And no matter what that meant, big church, small church, it didn't matter. This word was what I was going to stick to and was what I was going to bring to people so that their lives could be full and they could have an understanding of not just parts and pieces of this that maybe made them feel good, but the whole thing from repentance and salvation and heaven and hell and all that the Bible teaches. It's, you know, it's not like a... In order form that we fill out and say you know you go to those places where you can kind of pick and choose I'll have this withhold that give me this and then hold this back but give me this you know it's like I mean, whenever I order give me everything saw on there bring it all Katie's like no hold the mushrooms and hold that you know I'm just like bring it all we can't pick and choose this isn't a preferential gospel This is the whole word of God right here. we got to take it all. When we get Jesus, we get all of him. Not the parts that we just like that fancy our ears. The whole thing. Can I just tell you? Even the things that don't necessarily fancy your ears will help you, will grow you, will strengthen you, and will move you more into the person that God has created you to be. I mean, God's plan and his will for our lives comes through exhortation, but it also comes through correction and conviction. That's all part of the way God works in our lives and he performs his work in our spirit and inside of us. And we have to be open and willing to all of that. Listen, the Bible says in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says all scripture, all is given by inspiration of God. That, that phrase by inspiration of God in the Greek is one word, one word, that whole phrase. It means to be God-breathed. So you've got to know that every single part of this Bible, from beginning to end, the whole thing, God-breathed. He, he inspired. Yes, the prophets recorded and wrote and, and translated things, but it wasn't them that was the source of that. God-breathed the inspiration for all of the Scriptures. And listen to this. Listen to this charge that Paul gives to Timothy about preaching this this word in 2 Timothy chapter four. He says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, that is a pretty heavy way to start an opening charge, isn't it? I charge you, Timothy. Therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom preach the word preach the word the whole word not parts not pieces preach the whole thing and trust the transformational power of the word of god to do what only it can do when you bring it forth not bits and pieces preach the word be ready in season and out of season convince rebuke exhort and with all long suffering and teaching Listen to this. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. He speaks about. There are times coming, and perhaps many would say, even in the day and age that we're in today, where people will heap up for themselves their own teachers. They won't be appointed and anointed by God himself to lead in the church. There'll be people appointed and anointed by people who want to hear certain things and will choose who they put in offices to teach them and speak them. So it fancies and tickles them and they don't hear the full truth and everything that they need for conviction, for repentance, and the, for the whole life that God has called them to. It's a time that is prophesied that would come and it's a part of how men turn their ears away whenever they hear some things that can be very challenging and very tough. But in this word, the entire word of God, we have to know that everything we need is in this whole book, and we need all of it, not just bits and pieces. If the word of God is God-breathed, if it's all, in, all scripture is inspired, then that means every single word of this is infallible and is inaccurate and necessary. It's inerrant, meaning there are no errors in it at all because it's God-breathed, so it's His Spirit, so He is perfect, so there's no errors in God, so there can be no errors in His Word. And this is very important that we as believers put our faith and our trust in the basis that Scripture is infallible because if we don't, then we can't subscribe to the Bible as the full authority and final authority over everything else that exists in our life and in this world. And that's the place that the Word of God has to have in our heart. If the Bible says it, it's true. If it's the Word of God, it supersedes knowledge of man or the world or anything else that I will ever have a question about. This is the deciding factor The Bible says the word of God is a discerner of hearts and thoughts that it penetrates through between the joint and the marrow. It means that it cuts through the things in life that the world and knowledge of the world are incapable of sifting for us incapable. In fact, if we try to approach the complexities of life through the knowledge of the world, it will be too staggering and too difficult to make sense of and sort out. But when the Word of God is our guide and is our authority, then it will cut through the fog in any and every situation we will ever find, and it will be a light to our path. Praise God for that. And so I want to teach you and talk to you today about hell and I want to do this uh, in a way where it brings an understanding and an awareness of what hell is and what it's about you know there are a lot of people who don't even subscribe to the idea that hell exists it's a thing now that's like called comfort theology you know where well, God is a good God and he wouldn't send people to hell and he wouldn't do that and all these things. That's just kind of a metaphor. That's just kind of something that's said and used to, to try to help people get on the right track. I beg to differ. Listen, hell is a real place and heaven is a real place and they exist in the spirit realm. They're not metaphors, they are not ideas and they are not figurative speech to help build a story they are actual destination places that spirits will go so this is what you got to know as a creation of god god made us all three things body mind and spirit the body obviously the physical body is perishing it's temporal it as dust we came to dust we shall return the body will decompose it will turn to dust And and go back to vapor, right? But the spirit and then the mind, which is our faculties and our thoughts, those are eternal. They live forever. And the place, the destination that our spirits go has everything to do with one central message. And that is the message of the cross. Of Jesus Christ, Him crucified, risen from the dead, Savior of the world, and He is Lord. That that truth has everything to do with where our spirits will spend eternity. And so in this story, we see that Jesus is talking about this guy, Lazarus, and this rich man. And I want to just point out to you that from everything I can deduct, this is not a parable. This is a real event that happened. And the reason I say that is because when Jesus taught parables, one of the things that we almost always see is that he did not use names in parables. And he refers to this man specifically as Lazarus. The other thing is when Jesus taught in parables, he would come back and he would unpack that parable later and teach what it meant and kind of what the figurative language was meant to, to explain to them. He never comes back and does that here. So what we have to conclude is that this story was an actual event that Christ bore witness to that he was describing to the audience that he was speaking it over. And so let's go from there now and begin to break this down. So when we say the word hell, we are using the English Word, the English translation. That's how, when the Bible is translated into King James and English, of course, there were words in Hebrew in the Old Testament and Greek in the New Testament, and then the English translation of those is brought forth in what we read in our Bibles. But when we look at the descriptions of hell over a hundred times, Old Testament and New Testament, there are words in the Hebrew. Specifically, a word called sheol. Sheol is what is used. And in the New Testament, the writers borrowed the Greek word Hades. Now, they both essentially mean the same thing. It means the underworld. Now, this is very important because the actual hell that a lot of times we think about is a little bit different. There's different parts to this, and Sheol, or Hades, referring to the underworld, is the place where departed spirits would go. So when Jesus was speaking about this story, Lazarus and the rich man, notice he was describing two separate locations that they were in that were a part of the underworld. And I want to try to help you visualize this today. If this is the world, I'm a real Picasso, so just so you know, this is going to get good, right? Then the underworld was a place in the spirit realm that existed beneath the earth, that does exist beneath the earth, okay? And he's speaking about these two places. One is the place where the rich man is at, which we would know commonly as how we think of is hell. And it is the place where torment is. Notice there's fire there, right? This is the place where the departed spirits that were rebellious against God did not have faith in God. This is the place where they would go. It is also the place where the Bible speaks of in other locations that fallen angels and demons are sent to. It is in this underworld, and some of those demons are actually even bound in chains, and some demons actually, like Satan, can rule the world, rule, run around on the world and afflict harm and do damage to the people of God, try to attack them and disrupt the purposes of God for their life. But in this other place where Lazarus is, he refers to called Abraham's bosom. So, what is that? When people died prior to Christ's work on the cross, you have to understand that those, the Bible speaks of those departed saints as dying in faith, meaning they passed on from this world believing in faith not only in the God of Israel but in the promise of a Messiah who would come to bring about restoration of mankind to redeem them back into a relationship with God. So when Adam and Eve were created in the garden God's ultimate plan was unfolded it's there for us to see they were meant to live eternally Bible says there is a tree of life in the garden and they ate of it and that they would live forever they were meant to live for eternity with God in relationship with him God spoke to them walked with them in the cool of the day there is closeness and intimacy there the way God originally created in his plan for it to be But through the fall of Adam and Eve, sin came into the world, and that dominion that man had, that place, was taken and was disrupted because of Satan's manipulation. That's why the Bible says that when God banished Adam and Eve from the garden, he sent cherubim, angels, to guard the gate with swords of fire, lest they return and eat from the tree of life and live forever. So they were banished and never saw the garden again. Their original intent by God was to live eternally, but that was taken because of what Satan did, but not forever. That was the whole point from then on where those that lived lived believing in the future restoration of that original plan that God would ultimately bring. Does that make sense? So, here's a very important thing that you have to recognize in the context of talking about hell. You were never created for hell. Yeah. That is not yeah. ever a part of what God created you for. God created you for heaven, for relationship with Him, and for companionship. It's man that messed that up and broke that and, dis- and, and violated that. God's plan, so he's not this God that created hell and wants to send a bunch of people there to die and burn and all that like many people sometimes think or are falsely taught. God has created all of us with the intent to be restored to relationship with him, to live in relationship with him in a heavenly place, not a place that we know as hell. Are you with me so far? And so we see that this is Abraham's bosom and this is hell So the departed spirits that died, that died in faith before Christ's work on the cross, knowing that the Messiah would come and one day redeem them, this is where they went. They went to a place known as Abraham's bosom in the underworld because man was incapable of entering into heaven at that point. The Bible says that no sin, nothing defiled, nothing unclean can ever enter into heaven. And so until Christ suffered on the cross, spilled his blood, and then could wash us clean with his blood, we are not in a place we were people man were not in a place where they could enter into heaven because they were unclean. Their, their spirits were unclean. They were tainted with sin. Does it make sense? And so this is where they went. And Jesus is talking about that there is this great gulf that's fixed between the two. Notice that one cannot pass from one to the other and the other can't go to the other. And that's a huge thing because what that clarifies for us, and some people, again, comfort theology. Well, you know, if they died and they were a good person or, you know, maybe after they died. Look, if that's, we can clarify that once We die. Once our bodies decompose, we die, and our spirits leave our bodies, the time to decide is over. It's it's already done. The decision will have have to have been made to receive and accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. We will have to be clean and washed clean with his blood at that point to enter into heaven in that place. But this is what gets really interesting So this was how it looked up until Christ came along. So picture this. Jesus is up here in heaven from the beginning of time. Jesus, God the Father, the Holy Spirit. God in three persons, the Trinity. I'm not going to teach on that today, but they're all one. The Bible says that God created the, the earth, right? It also says that the earth was without form and void, Genesis 1, 1, and 2, And it says that the Spirit of God hovered over the deep. That's the Holy Spirit. He was active in the creation process. And John 1 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word. We know that commonly referred to in other places. So Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, Son, Father, and Holy Spirit were all existing. And of they were the only of God was the only uncreated. Everything else was created. We know that. So, in the beginning, is this, and then we have the garden, and then we have the fall, and then this is the condition for departed spirits after that. But then something miraculous happens. The promise comes true. Jesus comes down to the world, it's the Immaculate Conception, and he walks the earth as a man, and he goes to the cross. So take your Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Is this interesting to you? It's fascinating to me. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Remember that. I'm gonna come back to that. But verse nine, now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So when Jesus, you have to understand how significant this is, Jesus leaves the place of heaven with the Father and comes down, descends the first part of the descent to earth and is born of the virgin to be God and walk in the flesh to do the work that he has come to do. But this is the first part of the descent. It says that he descended into the lower parts of the earth. So you remember, Christ died, most people say it was on a Friday, on a Friday, and then he rose from the dead three days later. What happened in those three days? I'm going to tell you. The, Ephesians 4.8, he descended into the lower parts of the earth. Matthew twelve forty, Jesus said, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, so shall the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth, the heart of the earth, Sheol, for three days. Jonah was actually a prophetic form of the Messiah to come, if you know that. And Jesus went into the, is it, the Bible says when Jesus breathed his last, it means he gave up his spirit, his body stayed and his spirit left, his spirit went into the heart of the earth. He even said to the thief on the cross, he said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. He was going somewhere with him. He had a destination to get to. He didn't appear in resurrected form for three days. There were three days that he was here. What was he doing? Listen to this. Isaiah chapter 61, verse one, is a prophecy about the Messiah that would come and part of the work that he would do. It says The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. So Isaiah is prophesying, but this is the word of the Lord. This is what what God would be speaking. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. He set them free. He let them out. You say, how do you know that, pastor? Listen, Matthew chapter 27. I'm gonna give you several of these. Verse 50. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice again, and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. Listen just for a second. There was something so significant happening in the spirit realm in the belly of the earth that the physical geography and topography were fractured and split and opened because something so significant was happening beneath that. The spirit realm was colliding with the natural realm. And just like it always does, the natural realm is forced to bend its knee to what's happening in the spirit. He went down into, listen to this. I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but verse 52, after the rocks were split and the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints, those who died in faith, many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. I don't know if you've ever watched the show on Netflix called Prison Break, but baby, this was the greatest prison break that's ever been known, I'm telling you. (laughs) He went down into the belly of the earth and he set them free. And when he resurrected and came and ascended back up to heaven, he took all of the saints with him. Now when we die... We no longer go here in 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verse 8 it says very clearly to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord you understand because God is just and because God is consistent man could have no place in heaven until the blood of Jesus would wash him clean because he was defiled he was tainted and once we are cleaned then we can enter and so there was this place for those who died in faith that were awaiting the promise of the Messiah. And Jesus himself went down into the pit. Not, he went down into the pit to vanquish hell and release the captive. It says he opened the prison. Remember in Isaiah 61, we just read that. Jesus read those exact verses in the synagogue in Nazareth when he began his ministry And then he closed the book and he said, today these scriptures are fulfilled. What was he saying? I'm the one that's setting the captives free, that's healing the brokenhearted, that's delivering the sick, and it's going to go in and open open up the prison and set them free. All those who have died in faith are now up in heaven with God in the abode of God in his presence forever. And when we die, our physical bodies die now in Christ Our spirits depart from this world and go to be with Jesus in heaven, and we will return with him. I'm going to go there next week, but in Revelation 19, where it speaks about the return of Christ, it speaks about the sky splitting open, Christ on his white horse coming with the armies of God behind him, which are angels, but also all the saints who have passed, and also those who are still alive when he returns, the Bible says in First Thessalonians chapter four that we are caught up in the air together with him in the sky. So all the saints come with Christ back as he begins to set up his rule for all of eternity here on this earth. But listen to this in First Peter chapter three, verses eighteen and nineteen. speaking about Jesus going down in and vanquishing hell. It says, And he heard a voice which came from heaven. Oh, that's the wrong chapter. Sorry. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, for the just and the unjust, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also, the Spirit, he went and preached to the spirits, lowercase s, the people who were died in faith, and then those who were died in unbelief, went and preached to the spirits who were in prison. He went down and he actually was engaged in a declaration of saying, I am here. The promise is fulfilled. The one that you've heard about has arrived, and now the work that's been promised is getting ready to be done. In Colossians chapter 2, it says, verse 14 or 13, "And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made you alive together with him. Having forgiven you all all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting requirement that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Let me stop right there for a second and explain this. So a handwriting requirement was a term that was used for a certificate of debt, something that was owed. And whenever they would crucify criminals, many times they would write their crimes down that they were being crucified for. And they would nail them to their cross so that people could see justice was served and the redemption for their crime has been paid. The price for their crime has been paid. Think about this. This is mind-blowing. The Bible says right here in Colossians 2 that Jesus took the certificate of debt. You and I and every person who's born into this world is born with an unpayable debt. It is the the wages of sin are death. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all born into the world with an unpayable debt. But Jesus took the certificate of that debt, nailed it to his cross to signify that the price has been paid. All justice has been served, and now all who would believe in Jesus are forgiven and have a debt no longer. That's why the blood of Jesus can wash us clean, because he satisfied the requirement that we could never satisfy on our own. Listen to this. It goes on to say in Colossians 2, 15, that after he nailed them to the cross, he disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it. This is like a term used when a Roman army would go into a city, they would defeat their enemy and they would come back with the spoils of war with their enemies' heads and other things and they would parade through the streets in a celebration victory that their enemy has been defeated and the people would rejoice and the spoils of war would be dispersed. When Jesus goes in to the belly of the earth He divested Satan of his authority and of his rule and stripped them of all of the power that they had had up until that point to afflict men with sin and with death. You see, when Satan was talking to Jesus, when he was tempted in the wilderness, he said to him, look at all these kingdoms of the world. Look at them all. If you'll just worship me, I'll give them to you. Because, very important, you hear this, they've been delivered unto me. You see, Adam and Eve were created with that authority and that place with God to begin with, and they gave it to him. They relinquished it to Satan by manipulation of his tactics and lost it. And so Jesus said, when Satan said, I'll give, you the, I'll give it to you if you'll worship me, he said, get behind me, or he said, he said you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So, side point, Satan uses scripture to try to tempt and manipulate Jesus, and Jesus uses scripture to overcome him. Be aware of people who manipulate scripture. Amen. Be aware. It happens. And Jesus brought truth back and said, You're not going to manipulate that with me. The Bible says, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. You get behind me. And so he said, I love this. He, Satan says, I'll give you, I'll give it to you. I'll give you that rule. I'll give you that authority. And he says, You're not going to give it to me. You're not going to hand it over in some negotiation tactic. No, I'm going to go to the cross and suffer and die, and I'm going to come down there where you're at, and I'm going to take it from you by violent opposition and by an act of war. That's how he did it. So it says when he disarmed the principalities and powers, he went into the heart of the earth and he announced to Satan and all of them, I am here, I have come, and he stripped them of all authority and rule. And it says when he ascended, when Jesus ascended back up into heaven, it says that he gave gifts to men. He dispersed the spoils of war and empowered us through his Holy Spirit with supernatural gifts to build his church and to be able to see a lost and dying world saved and brought to the knowledge of Christ. Hallelujah. If that doesn't make you shout, I don't know what will. And you're not shouting. Ah. And so after that, We know that the Bible says that Jesus went up to heaven. It says this. And it says that he ascended back into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. You gotta understand what he gave up in the beginning to come down and descend and descend again to strip Satan of his authority so that he could disperse the spoils of that and give you back the authority that we were created all along to have. And then he went back up and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Ephesians chapter one and Hebrews chapter one. He sat down. And that's where he is right now. Reigning uncontested. And there comes a day when he returns. We're gonna go there next week but it speaks about this in Revelation 19. It says that the, the, the heavens are ripped open, torn. Whew. I can't imagine what that would look like to see that in the sky. The heavens are torn open. Jesus returns on his white horse and those who are in heaven with him, the armies of God will return with him as he begins to set up his eternal rule for the rest of ages, the eternal age. And listen to this, in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. He says, And then when they had come together, they asked Jesus, saying, this is the disciples, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, he ascended. Remember Ephesians 4, 8. He ascended, but he first descended. It says, when he was spoken these things, they watched and he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they stood and looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men, angels, by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go. As he ascended into the sky, the sky's gonna rip open and he's gonna come back the same way you saw him leave. Hallelujah. Hallelujah here's the part that I want you to get you were created for heaven your spirit was created for relationship with God you were not created for hell but God is just and if those that don't accept Christ as their Lord and Savior if they renounce or they deny him and will not receive him then there is a different destination for their spirits for eternity where they go That is why God has given us this mandate to go into all the world and preach the gospel and raise up disciples. It's because the heart of God is that none would perish, that none would end in eternal separation from him. And he's given us that mandate He's given us his spirit. He set us free from the law of sin and death so that we could operate in power and with authority, stripped Satan of that and gave it back to us so that we could trample his head underfoot and walk in authority and push back the gates of hell in this world so that more can be saved and set free. It is the mission of the church and it is the mission of us as believers. Our lives have been dedicated as we choose to be followers of Christ. That's why Jesus said, you're gonna have to abandon all and follow me. Peter laid down his net to become a fisher of men. Guys, we have to lay down our nets it's not about what we fought or what we wanted. It's about what God wants to use us to do to see a lost and dying world saved and set free. And you know what? I think the beautiful part of this is that we have to grab is that when it speaks about Lazarus and it speaks about the rich man, you notice the gulf is fixed. He can't go there. Once it's over, it's over. Eternity sets in for the spirits of people. And so he says to the to Abraham, he says, send somebody to go talk to my brothers. And you know what he says? He says, it doesn't matter. They have Moses. They have the prophets. They have the word of God. That's all they need. If they won't receive the word of God, it doesn't matter if we sin to do something else. I think sometimes we think we've got to be all put together. And all perfectly knowledgeable and be able to answer all these questions before we could ever be effective for God. Listen, I got to tell you, that's the reason that, that Paul went as far as to say, I didn't come to you in eloquent of speech. I didn't claim to know anything among you except Christ crucified and risen. That's the only message that you need to know to see people get saved and set free. And once we have Jesus in us and his spirit is in us, we have everything we need, the message of the gospel and our testimony that goes with that to share with the lost and dying world, to see them go where God meant for them to live all along. All along. It's the heart of the Father. That we be with him forever he's given us his son to satisfy the requirements of the law of sin and death he vanquished hell divested Satan of his power can you imagine what he had to be thinking when Jesus came down in there he probably thought oh my gosh I totally messed up right because it says that this, this, this work of the cross, of redemption, was a mystery. Even though the prophets foretold of this Messiah, redemption, salvation, restoration, a king, a high priest, all these things, it was a mystery to the world until Christ came and revealed it. That's why the veil was torn in two because now all could see as it was and have relationship and communion with God once again by his Holy Spirit. But they, were, they only prophesied of it. They only foretold of it. They only anticipated it. When Jesus came and did what he did on the cross and ransacking hell, he fulfilled it and he dispersed the power from that to the rest of his children to build his kingdom until he would return. Praise God. Be absent, with the, be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And now if we if we die before Jesus returns, we can have hope and assurance that we know where we're going to be. We know where our spirits are going. And we look to that day when Christ returns and we reign with him for all of eternity. Now next week, I'm also gonna talk to you about this other place, again, hell in the underworld, where it's different, which we often hear about and we associate with hell, it is associated, but it's different, it's called the lake of fire. The lake of fire is actually the final destination, but that is not the underworld that we learned about today. And in Revelation 19 it describes it and we're gonna go there next week. We're gonna talk about the return of Christ, the reign of the saints with Christ and we're gonna talk about lessons that we need to know and need to learn from these teachings about hell that will empower us, encourage us and motivate us to be more effective for the kingdom of God. Because the message of hell, quite frankly, is a very inspiring, encouraging empowering truth. It is not a doom and gloom thing. You see, when Jesus came the first time, the Bible says that in John three sixteen. most of us know this, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that through him the world might be saved. He came to save, not to condemn. When he returns, that's when he executes final judgment. And we're going to learn about that next week. So I hope you'll come back. Stand to your feet with me. We're going to pray.